May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. These words, often used at the opening of a sermon, are drawn from the psalm that was offered today. Psalm 19 is a creation psalm along with four others that tells of God's craftsmanship in fashioning and loving the world. From the creation story in Genesis, we are reminded that God spoke the world into existence, that God loves the world and each creation within it. Perhaps your heart broke with mine this week as we learned that the aid trucks entering Gaza were overrun with people who were starving and in the chaos of military gunfire and trucks trying to escape, more than 100 people died. Or perhaps you've driven through some of the neighborhoods, the neighborhoods that are filled with potholes and litter, while others in our same city are quite beautiful. Or perhaps you're struggling with rising food prices and gas prices while on a fixed or insufficient income after having worked hard for many years. Or maybe you've encountered the rudeness of a unfortunately named Karen or Kevin who feels that their entitlement means much more than common decency. This is not the world that God created, nor is it the world that God intended for us. And when humanity has gone astray, or as I like to say, takes a left-hand turn from the right-hand lane, God continues to find ways to draw humanity toward God's own heart. So how can we live together as God would intend? Now, if you listen to country music and you don't have to raise your hand and admit it, but that's a personal vice of mine, the solution, according to Dustin Lynch, is for every town to have a Meemaw's house. But God has something much better in mind. And one example is with the Decalogue, a summary of the law that God gave to the children of Israel. These commands have been given a bad name, used as a marker for who gets in or doesn't into heaven, or dismissed as an out-of-date rule book. When we hear the term, the Ten Commandments, it's easy to bristle, to grit our teeth, and find out what new restriction on our once enjoyable life is threatened with being removed from us. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, are often portrayed as an imposition by a power-hungry God filled with anger and rage, seeking to stamp out any fun at all. But what if there is another way to see them? What if they're actually a love letter from God? A love letter? Well, maybe you say, Mother Andrea, it might be a while since you've gotten a love letter. But that's not what a love letter looks like. I mean, a love letter should make your heart start twitter-pating or your palms sweat. Maybe your pupils dilate as your sympathetic nervous system responds to the one you love. The shall-nots don't elicit that response in any way, shape, or form, and at best, my nervous system says, perhaps we should avoid them. But what if during Lent, we welcomed the invitation they offered in their commands? For they invite us into living in a way that is good and godly. What if we were tasked with forming a new society? 
We would want to right what was wrong and find ways to prosper. Some of us would be very concerned about day-to-day -day operations. Others of us would care about the power structure and how bureaucracy would function. We would begin with what we knew and what ideals we had in common. We would want fairness and justice, but getting there can be problematic. And for hundreds of years, the nation of Israel had been under slavery and brutality in Egypt. Their lives were at the mercies of others with no recourse. There was no rule of law, but the law of the ruler. Remember in the story of Moses, how the Pharaoh had decreed death to every newborn Israelite son, but two Hebrew midwives, Sifra and Pua, in the Bible's first act of civil disobedience and nonviolent resistance for the sake of justice, to quote Elson, the midwives refused to obey Pharaoh's deadly command, and Moses survived. For generations of the nation of Israel, might equaled right. And when God brought them out of the land of Egypt, God created a way to get Egypt out of them. They needed a different way of carving out their society where raw power and whims did not determine what was right or what was wrong. But there was a standard to follow regardless of who was in power. These laws were designed to construct and maintain right relationships toward God, their neighbors, and others to foster love. And it is no surprise that when these commands are left behind, pain, dissatisfaction, and dysfunction follow, the very opposite of loving right relationships. While these 10 commands may include donkeys and oxen, they can still be understood in our context. The first commandment is that God is the Lord, there is no other. For I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God starts with God's own self and God's reminder that they are in relationship with God, that God has protected them and delivered them and has earned their loyalty that unlike the ways of the people around them, they had one God. Therefore you shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything that's in heaven, in earth, or in the water. Don't bow down and worship them. We don't have statutes and towers of false gods like they encountered back then. But today our idols are much more insidious. Idols are things that claim our time and energy that should be going into our relationship with God. For some of us, it's sports, or art, or TikTok, or computer games, even something as innocent as reading. Anything that crowds out the time or energy necessary to become what God has called us to be can be considered an idol. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Perhaps like me, you were raised not to swear because you shouldn't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The use of profanity in our house was, quote, the effort of a feeble mind attempting to express itself forcefully, to quote my father. So phrases like darn and H-E double hockey sticks or gosh darn it were used but really the command goes much deeper. 
we see God's pure and holy name dragged into conversations that wound and harm people, where the name of God, Christ, or Jesus are weaponized for political or personal gain. This is not to be. While it's easy to point to televangelists who are guilty when they profit off the name of God, perhaps we need to look a little closer to home. Where do we use the name of God or Christianity for our own personal ends? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord of God, the Lord our God. In it you shall not do any work. What a gift, a loving gift, this command was to people whose lives had been run by others from sunup to sundown without a break for generation after generation. This command allowed them to reset their lives to stop what they were doing and return their attention to God who delivered them. Now, I know what it is like to keep the Sabbath holy. For a while, I was raised Seventh-day holiness. And then, as my daughter grew up and I was taking classes, I thought it'd be nice if we, too, kept the Sabbath. We still went to church on Sunday. And as sunset would begin, we would run around the house saying, Sabbath is coming, Sabbath is coming. My daughter loved it because she knew she had no chores to do for the next 24 hours, and neither did I. But too often, rather than resting and focusing on God, I use my Sabbath as my catch-up day. I mean, I've got groceries and appointments for me, and I have a pet who needs to go to the vet, and there's laundry, and there's budgeting, and meal planning, and it just becomes endless. And I'm assuming the same happens for you. But the Sabbath isn't a catch-up day. It's a day to rest. It's a day to re-engage with God. Once upon a time, stores closed on Sunday or by 6 p.m. But now the stores are not just open past our bedtimes. They're in our homes 24-7 with online shopping and home delivery of goods. But when I don't rest, I don't give rest to others. We could go on with the rest of the commands. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long upon the land that the Lord your God gives you. Some of us had loving, kind, and rather particular parents. Others of us received or endured difficult and abusive parents. We are not called to endure abuse or to have deep relationships with our abusers. We are simply called to provide honor. For some, that's very little perhaps simply because they gave us life. But for others, they did more. And learning to honor our father and mother will serve us well as we learn to honor others. Thou shalt not murder. We know from our own U.S. history that slaves were murdered at will, but that was never what God intended. When he gave Israel their hard reset as a chosen people, their way of dealing with power was not to abuse it. We are forbidden to knowingly and willfully take the life of another, whether in anger or for a misguided sense of self-righteousness. We're called to see each other as the image of God, not as an object for us to misuse. Rather than murder our enemies, we are called to love them. Even in war, which is not forbidden in scripture, 
it still exacts a heavy toll on the one who kills. If you've spoken to veterans, that's an area that they hold quite tight. It's quite tender. And even my father never spoke of his time in the war, in the Korean War, until three weeks after his death. And all he said was, they froze to death. Not the shooting, but the destruction of a people is what caused my father so much grief, even until the end of his life. Peace should be our aim. War should be a matter of necessity so that God could free our necessity and preserve us in peace. This was written by Augustine of Hippo in his work called Confessions. Killing harms everyone. But there's another way that we commit murder. It's with the words we say. When we gossip, we kill another's reputation, their public life. Once accused, the stain of the experience, even when proven false, remains. Seven, you shall not commit murder. In, I'm sorry, you shall not commit adultery. In our society, adultery has been prettied up. It's called cheating. It sounds so much nicer. But it destroys homes and families. It creates wounds that take years to heal. It creates economic hardship and pain. Sounds like a very good commandment to hold on to. Thou shalt not steal. For a people whose labor was taken for granted to have their own possessions finally in a free land was very important. But they had learned from generation of generation of being in captivity that might makes right and if you have something I want I can take it so God says don't steal you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor if someone has ever lied to you you know the work it takes to regain trust we'll all make mistakes but we need to own them and correct them God spoke the world into existence and God gave us the power of speech to be part of God's creative work. It is critical that we don't misuse it. And 10, you shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, their slaves or servants, their ox, their donkeys, anything that belongs to your neighbor. In essence, we are not to covet another person's life. There will always be people that have more than you, and there will always be people with less, especially if you go beyond money to include health and relationships. These Ten Commandments allow us to live in harmony with God, ourselves, and each other. On the surface, they can be easy to follow, but when you dig a little deep, they can be a little difficult, but they keep us from harming each other. There is not one commandment that I would choose to live without. Would you? So I encourage you, during this week of Lent, to read them as a way of seeing God's love for humanity, of God desiring the best for each one of us. I'd like you to select one that could be meaningful to you, to explore it further this week. Perhaps start with the Sabbath and use that day to explore it. See what a difference it could make in your life, in your relationship with each other, and your relationship 
with God. Amen.